Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Listen and follow the Left Wing Rugby Podcast with me, Will Slattery and Luke Fitzgerald. As far as I can see, I always want to get in the Irish team. And that should be every young player's dream and ambition in this country. And if you're playing in a place where you're not going to get the opportunities in the big games, that they're the ones that get you picked. They are the ones, the Champions Cup games are the ones that get you picked. You need to be playing in a team and starting in a team for those games. It's as simple as that if you want to play in the Irish team. Every week on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Vicky Phelan exploded onto the national consciousness as she stood on the steps of the four courts in April 2018. She set aside her own grief, refused to sign a confidentiality clause, and exposed the truth of a national scandal. The big thing for me is the patient safety. Uh, I'm not interested in kind of revenge, you know, that's, that's not what I'm here for. I, I do want to see accountability and I would like to see a legacy, a legacy that this will never happen again to any woman, man or child in this country because there are, you know, this is not just a, a, a woman issue. This is affecting men and children who are without their mothers uh, and their wives. Um, I never want to see this happen again and if I do die, you know, I want it to be not in vain. The mother of two knew that day that her life would be cut short, but she had a lot of living to do in the meantime. There are no winners here today. I am terminally ill and there is no cure for my cancer. My settlement will mostly be spent on buying me time and on paying for clinical trials to keep me alive and to allow me to spend more time with my children. If I die, and I truly hope that won't be the case, the money will provide for my family. She set off on a parallel journey to both extend her own life for her family's sake and to change the system so that the rest of us would never have to go through the same heartache. She has Ireland crying, you know. She has left her indelible mark on all of us forever. And we'll never see the likes of her again. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, we remember the Limerick warrior Vicky Phelan with her friend Billy Keane and journalist Nicola Anderson. Billy Keane, I'm conscious that I'm a bit emotional when I think about Vicky Phelan, and I have absolutely no right to be. You, you knew her fairly well. How are you feeling today? Oh, do you know, I suppose when the news came through, I, I had this kind of a feeling about Vicky because she, she took on the whole world and won. You know, she got justice or partial justice for so many women who suffered so much. And she got some justice for herself as well. Um, and I always kind of felt that no one could take her down. You know, uh, whenever 
you know, whenever I think of Vicky, I just think of someone kind of that was stronger than than death. That was going to beat it. It was going to beat this cancer. And I, I just couldn't, I can't actually believe that she's gone, but I suppose it was inevitable and we all knew it. But in the back of your head, you thought that she was invincible, you know, because whenever, you know, she, she, you know, she just took over a room when she came in and there was an aura about her and you, you, you felt that, well, I knew I was in the presence of someone very special that I would never meet her likes again. You just knew there was someone in that room that was beyond us, that would better us, make us, give us a real sense of what it is to give up your life really through no fault of your own for others and to fight for everything. She fought for everything. Nothing came easy for Vicky. Even survival for as long as she did was a bit of a miracle, I suppose, looking back at it now, but nothing came easy for her. Uh, and she had her shares of ups and downs in life. But there was something about her, you know, it was like as if she wasn't a great believer now, but she was she was a living saint in her own way. She really was. Uh, but a real saint, you know, she, she'd love a few drinks and a bit of crack. And, you know, there was a great sense of humor there, a bit of devilment and, uh, you know, a great sense of fun. But, you know, an absolutely fantastic mother then as well. And, you know, part of her, the mother side of her, really drove her, I think, to try and stay alive as long as she could, you know. She knew, Billy, that when she died, there would be this outpouring that we'd have the Taoiseach on the radio and we'd have all these people saying nice things about her. What would she make of all of that? The depth of feeling that's out there for me, which I know is there because I get all these lovely... I hope I don't get upset now. I get all these lovely cards and all these lovely messages from people across the country. Um, and I've been getting them for the last four years, but I suppose in the most recent... Uh, times, particularly in the last year since I had to go to America and since I've come home and because people know I'm so unwell, um, it really means more to me because you can see how much it means to people that I'm still here. She did appreciate it, I think. You know, she, you know, any time, you know, that I wrote about her and there were many more journalists that she took into her, you know, took into her circle because she wanted to get the message out as well, you know. There was no kind of uh, kind of hypocrisy ever with Vicky Fielding. And she knew that um, to get the message across, number one, I suppose, for justice for the women uh, who suffered so much because of, the, because of the scandal. And also, I think, to tell women and probably men too, just to look out for the signs, you know, check yourself out, take, take care of your body and um, mind yourself. Uh, and so that was a huge thing with her as well. Like she was, she was like a messenger, you know. Uh, so, so Vicky wouldn't, have, you know, she wouldn't have had kind of cringe or anything like that. At it. I'd say she'd be delighted with it that that she succeeded in the end, even if it was posthumously. I think uh, that was her aim. I mean, the painting of her by Vincent Devine, um, like it really showed her up, and like she, she was public, you know, she didn't anything, even the innermost workings of her body, you know that were her private business, she made that public because she wanted people to know and understand what it is to be a woman. There was there was layers to Vicky, you know, very intelligent, you know, very brilliant woman. And Billy, have you any, have you any memories today, Billy, or a memory that has come back into your mind of your, your own friendship with her? Is there anything that, that's been kind of giving you a chuckle or a tear, I suppose? 
yeah, do, do you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I was thinking this morning of uh, of just um, the last time I met her was in her own house, her native home of uh, Moonkind. Uh, and um, we had tea and a sandwich there after the unveiling of the portrait. And um, it was it was lovely, you know, she was there and she was surrounded by her family. And they treated her as Vicky, which was lovely, you know, she was just Vicky there. And uh, it, it, there was no hugging allowed, but and she she had more to lose by getting COVID than anyone at the time. But I just got a hug, and it was just lovely. I kind of felt, I kind of felt that was that was a lovely moment. And I looked at her, and she, she went upstairs for a rest. And I kind of said, even though that's that's months ago, I knew that was the last time that I was going to meet her. But it was nice to meet her in. Such a lovely place, you know, with her own people, her mum and dad. Lovely, lovely people. And, you know, my condolences to all of them. Um, salt to the earth. It's a bit of a cliche, but they were, they're real people, you know, living in a real place, in a real house, you know, with their daughter. I mean, to us, she's Vicky and she's iconic in that, but uh, she's their daughter. It's beyond words, really. It's so unfair, you know, and there's a bit of anger there too, I suppose, you know. Um, but it was just so unfair. Billy, you're upset, I can hear it. The whole country is upset. She has Ireland crying, you know. She has left her indelible mark on all of us forever. And we'll never see the likes of her again. Her compassion and her courage and her manliness will be with us forever. Billy Keane, thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Nicola Anderson, the day that Vicky Phelan became a household name, standing on the steps of the four courts, telling her own story, having looked at the law in the face and basically said, I won't be silenced. And from there, I suppose, sharing her own trauma and her own difficulties with all of us for the betterment of this country. There are no winners here today. I am terminally ill and there is no cure for my cancer. My settlement will mostly be spent on buying me time and on paying for clinical trials to keep me alive and to allow me to spend more time with my children. If I die, and I truly hope that won't be the case, the money will provide for my family. That's right, Kevin. She um, she literally exploded onto our consciousness, I think, because this is the first time that we had seen what a powerful person that Vicky Phelan was. Um, you know, we heard of her of the pain in her voice as she spoke of her children. There was the shock at, at her circumstances, and then there was just the kind of the, the the impressiveness of her as a human being in breaking down her story and her total honesty at that point. And we know because she told us in her book that the night before that she stood, you know, outside the four courts that she didn't sleep a wink that night. That very powerful speech was written by her on her daughter's notebook on the train coming up from Limerick and it's just such a human story and and, and so powerful and I, I don't think we will forget that. I suppose we bring out a newspaper every day 
uh, and and all day, every day online and all the rest of it. So it takes a lot for us to stop as journalists. And I do remember vividly standing in the Irish Independent newsroom and watching that on the six o'clock news and being emotional. And I, I, I don't get emotional very often, but it, it really was the making of an everyday hero. I think we could all see our mother, our sister, our neighbour, our friend in Vicky Phelan. She was so relatable. She became a national treasure instantly. She never pretended that she was anything other than she was. The first description in her Twitter, but what I think was Mammy. She was somebody that we could recognise. We all either know somebody that's like Vicky Phelan. She was kind of a, an every woman and, and she was somebody, and that was very, very important. But because of this, we could all relate to this. And because of the fact that she was telling us what had happened to her, it kind of made us take stock and think, oh, if that happened to her, that could happen to me. Well, take us back. She was born in Moon Coin in County Kilkenny in 1974. What was her young life? Yes, she was born um, October 1974, the eldest of five children to her parents, John and Gabby. Again, ordinary, you know, very ordinary background. But, um, you know, she talked about her parents not having much money, but kind of having a, a great home life for their children and, you know, kind of making great things of Christmas and Halloween. And they really had a fun upbringing by the sounds of it. Um, she was a very determined child, um, you know, did well in school, was the first in her family to go to university, which, you know, kind of was a big thing for her and for her family. Um, and she was very, just very impressive, you know, but again, just ordinary home humble background. She met her husband, Jim, in 1996. That's right. Um, there had been, so she had had a difficult time in between going to college because she had had a pretty bad car crash in France, which had seen the death of her then boyfriend, Christophe. So she said that, you know, after that, she was so shattered that she thought that she would never love again. And it was just an ordinary St. Patrick's night out when she met her future husband, Jim Phelan. And um, Jim's sister actually, I think, was going out with Vicky's brother, Robbie. And uh, it kind of came out of the blue. But, you know, she said... Um, sometimes people just fall into each other. I've seen movies and read books about love that's all encompassing, a passion that grows and leads to a fairy tale proposal. It wasn't like that for me and Jim, she wrote in her memoir, but it was love all the same, just not from the get-go. And she went on to work. She had a job at Shannon Airport for a while, but she really wanted to get into education and she went on to work in the um, International Education Division in UL and she was involved in things like the Erasmus program and, of course, started a family. That's right. Um, I think that um, this was kind of her dream job when she ended up in UL working for Erasmus. And um, it kind of brought all her skills to bear. You know, I mean, as, as we know, as we all know, she had incredible people skills, her skill for languages and her love of travel. It kind of brought all these together. And of course, it brought her home to Limerick, too. She described it as her a, a perfect role for her. And then, Nicola, it was 2014 when Vicky Phelan's life changed forever and effectively a stopwatch or a clock was put on her time on this earth. In 2014, um, she experienced symptoms and requested a smear. And then she got the devastating diagnosis of cervical cancer. And she, she underwent aggressive treatment, you know, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, brachiotherapy. And she was eventually given the all clear. But unbeknownst to her at that time, um, her diagnosis prompted her inclusion in the audit that was done by a cervical check. And uh, eventually it evolved and emerged that, that, that um, she had had a smear in 2011 that had come back as normal, that had been misread. It wasn't until September 2017, so six years later, that she was actually 
told about the details of that. And it was really because of accidental detective work on her own part. Absolutely. I mean, she speaks of, of, of um, you know, kind of scanning her medical file while, you know, waiting for an appointment for a biopsy and something caught her eye. She said, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. It was a report that seemed to be about the audit. I noticed at the very bottom of the page in tiny print, it said page two of two. And instantly she knew that there was a page missing. And that prompted the whole investigation on her part. And so it came out a few months later and after her, her court case, the High Court was told that effectively if if her cervical cancer had been detected in 2011, in 2011, she would have had a 90% chance of being cured. But of course, by the time she was in court, she had already been told that her illness was terminal. And that led then to what became known as the Scally Inquiry, headed up by Gabriel Scally. I know very well from very many of the women themselves and their families that the issue of non-disclosure is felt very intensely indeed. They have expressed very clearly their anger at not being told at the time when the information from the audit became available. And they're equally as angry about how they were eventually told. In my view, the manner in which they were eventually told of their situation, in many cases, varied from unsatisfactory and inappropriate to damaging, hurtful and offensive. In September 2018, put out a very damning report that found that the cervical check screening system was doomed to fail, but that the biggest failure was actually this non-disclosure of information from these audits that were undertaken in the case of Vicky Phelan and others. And in turn, as a result effectively of Vicky Phelan standing on the steps of the court that day, we eventually reached a point where Leo Varadkar as Taoiseach made an apology to all the women affected in the doll. Ken Corla, as Taoiseach on behalf of the state, I apologise to the women and their loved ones who suffered from a litany of failures in how cervical screening in our country operated over many years. I do so having listened to many of those affected, and I do so guided by the Scali Inquiry Report. Today we say sorry to those whose lives were shattered. We say sorry to those whose lives were destroyed and to those whose lives could have been different. The 27th of October 2019, that was a formal state apology, Kevin, and I was there that day in the Dáil. And I just remember that the atmosphere of the time, actually, um, the, 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 the public gallery was full of women and their families. I think there was just a real palpable sense of suffering that day in the Dáil. You know, we, knew, we could see people who were, were weak, you know, maybe who didn't have the the energy to be there, but but really wanted to be there to see this kind of very important um, this state apology that they had really wished for for so long. And when it came, it was it was really quite powerful. I mean, we've had plenty of state apologies down the years, but this one really stands out. Um, it was it was very heartfelt words by um, by Tishak Leo of Radkar. And, um, and and it meant a lot to the families. We could see that, but it, but there was the, the pain was just so fresh and palpable. Nicola Vicky Phelan was never going to keep her mouth shut, was she? This wasn't about money for her. It was about the truth and the honesty. And she was a stubborn woman, perhaps in many ways, but she was dead right. 
She was right. I mean, she wrote about this, you know, you know, on learning that that that, that she would have had to sign a, a confidentiality clause, and it was kind of pretty much instantaneous. It seemed her, her 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 decision that she would refuse to sign this, and I think this was the whole point of why she is such an important, powerful figure, is because she didn't, you know, she refused to to just kind of to go home and die. First thing that they put on the table was a confidentiality clause. That's what straight away. That was what they were looking for. Keep your mouth shut and we'll pay you off. Yeah, basically. I was absolutely adamant um, that I was never going to sign a confidentiality clause. She wanted this to be a kind of a, a, a turning point in, in the health system. You know, she didn't want other women, other mothers to, to be in her shoes and to have to look at their children and say, you know, I, I won't be able to spend much time with you. She, she wanted to make a difference. And that was really, you know, her, her greatest legacy was in refusing to sign that confidentiality agreement. Because if, if we didn't, you know, if she, if she did, we, we would never have known about this. You told me a great story about a conversation she had with Mary Robinson. Uh, oh yes, that's right. She um, when she met Mary Robinson, um, she um, Mary Robinson was talking to her about her story, and she she said the first words out of her mouth was that she was a stubborn bitch, and she you know she kind of was kind of regretting the fact that she used those words. But Mary Robinson laughed and said that she recognised in her herself as a younger woman, and she said, "But the words I would use is uh, sophisticated bad girl." Nicola, you suggested there that some wanted her to go home and die, but she did the opposite. She did an awful lot of living in the time that we have known Vicky Phelan. She had an incredible zest for life and she drank life to the last drop. And she brought her children to Universal Studios and they turned on the Christmas lights in Limerick. You know, she got the the honorary the honorary doctorate, and she spent a lot of time in her happy place in Dunebeg with her daughter Amelia and her best friend Susan. And you know, she she kind of updated her many you know social media followers. Um, with, you know, what, her, what she was doing, you know, meals that she was on or little trips to hotels. You know, she kind of, she made, really enjoyed life, actually. I think that was the whole point. And also, but not, as well, not only that, she also reached out and helped others who were similarly suffering in a, in a situation as hers. She had a number of campaigns going, things like to get the Pembro drug uh, made available in Ireland, but she co-founded the 221 plus group, which was a support group for um, people who had been caught up in the cervical check controversy. And she founded that with Stephen Teep, who's the husband of Irene Teep and Lorraine Walsh, who became great friends of hers. But Stephen Teep's wife, Irene, had actually died in 2017 before Vicky uh, or, or anybody knew of exactly what had happened here. And they became particularly close. And I suppose Vicky saw how that had affected his family. Myself and Steve have become very friendly and, you know, even the day I got the good news last week, even though it's good news, I'm sure straight away he was going to be thinking, well, if Irene had got access to that drug, she'd be here today. She's not even dead a year. So she should have been given these options, but she wasn't, you know, and this drug was available back then. So it is hard. I mean, he's there with two small boys and no mammy, so it's hard. But that's why I'm doing this because it's all young women that are affected by this with small kids. And they, they did listen, Nicola, didn't they? Because the government was forced first to, to commission the Scali report. Um, they did make that experimental drug, Pembro, available uh, through the HSE to women in Ireland with cervical cancer. She made a real difference. 
Absolutely. I think that was probably, if you were to say what was her greatest legacy, it was probably in setting up the 221 Plus group and um, just the, the the political lobbying that they did on behalf of, of women who were either in that situation or might, you know, be in that situation. And um, just to, to, the, the advice and the, and the support and the information that they gave to women and families who were impacted by the Cervical Check programme. Um, you know, it was it was really important work. And she stood up to the system. And I think in her own words, that's what she wanted to do most of all, was to to drive the ability of people to not just take the system at face value. When all is said and done, what mm. do you want people to think? Vicky Phelan achieved the following. What do you want that legacy, if you like, to be? Change. I would like in, it to be change sense? in healthcare. In, in the way women are treated, in the way patients are treated, that it's more patient-centred, that patients feel that they can ask questions. And that's what I'd hope, I, you know, for me, that's why I constantly talk to people and say to people, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. In November 2020, Vicky Phelan announced that her cancer had returned and she had developed a new tumour. It was, for her, the worst of news. She took a chance, travelled to America for a number of months where she underwent an immunotherapy, a clinical trial effectively, that she hoped would give her more time with her family. But it didn't all go to plan for her over there. She had severe side effects and she came home in October 2021 for what she was told would be palliative chemotherapy. Of course, that wasn't the first time that Vicky Phelan had been told the only option for her was palliative chemotherapy because she had previously talked about the moment she was told that her cancer was terminal. When you hear the word palliative, you know what that means. You know it means this is it, this is the end, it's not curative. And people say, you know, my legs went out from under me. I know what that actually feels like now. My legs, I literally, I thought I was going to faint. My legs were all wobbly. I really couldn't breathe. Thank God there was kind of an area where I could go to the toilet before I went back out. To, to face my mother and my daughter and I just had to cry and cry and cry my eyes out. Nicola, after her years of battle, I think there was an acceptance this time around that the race was different, that she knew her time was definitely more limited. But she continued and she still lived a, a very exciting life. She almost did a lap of honour, you could say, over the last little while. Absolutely. I mean, she had the the freedom of Limerick. She was delighted to get that. Um, the freedom of Limerick city and county. Um, she spent a lot of time with her family. Um, you know, that there, there was, um, you know, she sent a heartfelt message of thanks to the people of Ireland saying she was absolutely blown away by the reaction when she, she when she appeared on the Late Late Show in November saying, you know, that, that or she and then she was met with a standing ovation. Um, and, and, you know, she, she spent that run up to the Christmas making memories with her family and friends. And um, she met Charlie Bird. You know, they talked of climbing, climbing Croke Patrick. You know, she, she really, really did make memories. She strikes me as, uh, and I say this, I suppose in journalism, we get to meet lots of people from presidents to, to, to sports stars and all the rest of it. I have never been starstruck by anybody, but I was starstruck by Vicky Phelan. And that's a strange impact. I remember meeting her in a, in a green room in RT before we were both appearing on the same television show. And I didn't know what to say to her, um, which I've never had, which I don't think anybody else that I've met through this job. She was a powerhouse that I suppose, what, what do you think will be, when we think of Vicky Phelan, not just in a year, but in two years, in 
five years and 10 years. I think that she has left a stamp on this nation that won't fade in the way that sometimes it does with people that we eulogise. Absolutely. I think she had star quality as a, as a human being. Um, I, I think it was her courage. I think it was her eloquence. Um, I also think it was her education because, you know, she was somebody who was able to stand up to the medics and, and kind of say, you know, and, and, and look for more information. And in a way, she is... In a way, she she was a landmark in 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 the medical care because it used to be this you know paternalistic way of you know okay well you know the doctors would tell you what they wanted to tell you but here was this patient this ideal patient coming forward to saying no I want all the information because I want to be able to make my own choices and that is really I think what Vicky has left us which is kind of she has given us back our power as as people you know and not just as patients but as people that we can actually use you know the, the confidence. And, and the skills that we have to, you know, to, to, to play a part in our own medical care. And I think that is really, really powerful and a really, a really an amazing gift that she left us. And it's an incredibly sad day for her family, for the people of Limerick, Kilkenny, everybody. But you brought in her book, Nicola, Overcoming, because you wanted to finish up, I suppose, in Vicky's own words, leave, as was often the way, leaving the last word to Vicky herself. And no better woman. There will be others who will continue this fight without me when I'm gone, because we're all in this together at the end of the day. We all come from that same place, from a mother's womb. This is everybody's story. I look back at my footprints in the sand. Tomorrow, the sea will have washed them away, ready for new footprints to take their place, to make their mark in the sand. I think of my promise to Amelia that night, a promise I keep every day, to be here as long as I can. Though recently I feel that black horse chasing me again, getting ever closer. I can hear the clip-clop of his hoofs, the tick-tock of the clock, as each sacred day passes by. Every sunrise, every sunset, every blessed day, they all count, every one. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today's episode of the Indo-Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound by John Smith. Archive clips were from RTE, Virgin Media, and Independent.ie. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please go to independent.ie forward slash helplines.